Today, our message is called An Example of Great Faith. Follow along with me as we start in verse 24 of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. And remember as we read it, this is the Word of God. And also take note, there will be a couple words that you're going to think, how in the world did he pronounce it that way? I painfully looked it up in the original language. And so there'll be a couple words that'll stand out to you and you're like, I don't get it. You'll just have to trust me because I went through the pain for you. All right, Mark 7, verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Turos and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenicia by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter, and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And today, it is my prayer that we let the word do the work. Help me to get out of the way of your precious word. And may you work in hearts of men and women today. And for those who are here today with heavy hearts, I pray that they'll be encouraged by this woman's great example of faith. And for those who are far from you or still don't know you, I pray today you would reveal yourself to them and that today would be the day of salvation. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, amen, church. Years ago, I had the privilege of breaching, or, you know, briefing several generals and a lot of high dignitaries on an operation that I was leading in Afghanistan. And as I was sharing the different course of action uh, options, they all started murmuring amongst themselves and talking and had a lot of opinions until the four-star general that was leading the discussion put his fist down on the table as loud as he could, and he said, listen to him, meaning me. He's the only pig at the breakfast table. And I have to admit, I was a little bit offended. I thought I put on a little weight, but I didn't realize that I was to be called a pig in front of such important people. But as I listened, I realized it wasn't an insult, but what he was trying to elaborate for those who would be in D.C. sipping lattes was that I was actually going to Afghanistan and I was actually going in harm's way, so he wanted them to listen to me. I share that story with you today because this text on the surface is a little bit offensive. But as we dig deeper, you'll realize there's a lot more going on. So be encouraged. Now remember that Mark is in Rome as he writes this gospel. Mark is writing from Rome, and he's writing an account of the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for Gentile readers primarily. Now, we know it is extended to everyone, but his primary goal is to write for the Gentile world. Mark knows he must communicate this gospel, that salvation extends to the whole world. You wouldn't get that message if you just talked to the Jews of the New Testament times. Our story from Mark finds a woman in a situation that seems hopeless. Perhaps you can identify with her today. Maybe your current situation seems hopeless too. I want to encourage you to listen to her story and note her example of great faith. She didn't make any assumptions about God, nor did she think that he would give her everything she asked for. Even so, she approached him knowing that he is good, and she placed her faith in him. You might even say that she got it right, 
because Jesus said so. If you heard the message from last week, you'll recall we studied Mark 7, 1 through 23. And there is a tension between that story and the one we just read. Let me recap Pastor David's message as he shared about the five dangers of empty religion. The first point he shared is that they elevated their thoughts and traditions above God's word. The second point was that they performed religious action for themselves apart from spiritual affection for God. The third point is that they see uncleanness in others that they refuse to see in themselves. The fourth point, they ultimately thought they could make themselves clean. And the fifth point, and this is the ouch, we are them. From this past message, we learned Jesus confronts his opponents and disciples about what defiles a heart. Today, we'll observe Jesus delivering the unclean daughter of a humble Gentile woman, even though the Jews would have considered both unclean. Mark's placement of the woman's story right after the discussion of clean and unclean provides a clear example of Jesus' disregard of the concept of defilement. What's fascinating to me is that the disciples don't understand, but the woman displays humility and understanding that they don't have yet. It's also an incredible example of the contrast of the unbelief of religious leaders of that day. Not only does Jesus address the difference between clean and unclean, but he also helps his disciples with their ancient prejudice against Gentiles. So before we explore each verse from our passage, let's look at some important background information so we'll better understand the scene that is set before us. I believe the story of Jonah is a good example of the hostility from a Jewish religious leader who would rather than declare the message of salvation from the one true God, went the other way in disobedience. And if you've grown up in church, you know the story of Jonah. But why? Because Jonah feared the Ninevites, better known in VeggieTales as the fish slappers, they might repent and benefit from God's grace. Jonah hated the ideal of salvation for the Gentiles, then just as Jewish leaders rejected it in the day of Jesus. Scripture makes it crystal clear that there is only one God for the world, and there's only one Savior for all mankind. 1 John 4, verse 14 says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Psalm 87 reminds us, that salvation will go to the world. Multiple places are listed to include Turos. The city of Turos is significant because it's the source of worship where the false god Bel began. Bel worship certainly defiled Israel, so much so that they never recovered. Turos was also the home of the famed Jezebel. And yet Psalm 87 says even this place will know God's salvation. Salvation has always been for the entire world. Israel and the Jewish people were never intended to be the end of God's saving purpose, but the vehicle for it. Jesus brought salvation to Israel so that Israel could bring it to the Gentiles. Remember that the early church was Jewish, and it was these faithful men and women who brought the gospel to the Gentiles, which in turn reached Jesus' followers today. The Apostle Paul echoes this in Romans 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's also good to remember that the message that saves Israel is the same message that saves the Gentiles. It's not a different message, and there's not a different Savior. More on this later. 
Now to our passage, verse 24. And from there he arose, this is Jesus, and he went away to the region of Turos and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. If you look at this map, it'll get you a lay of the land. Jesus journeyed to the surrounding region and the Gentile city of Turos. Turos was in a territory called Phoenicia, but it was annexed to the Roman province of Syria for more than a century. Today, Phoenicia is in modern-day Lebanon. The land God had promised to Abraham and his descendants included this fortified city with its excellent natural defenses. Unfortunately, the Israelites failed to take it, so Turos became sometimes ally and later a hated enemy. The early historian Josephus describes the people of Turos and Sidon as notoriously our bitterest enemies. Verse 25. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenicia, by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. The woman whose Gentile roots are evident in Turos came to Jesus to heal her daughter. Despite her history, she came to him like any parent who wanted healing for their child. Mark uses the catchword immediately to capture our attention to the important event taking place. She fell down at the feet of Jesus, a sign of respect and deep, deep sorrow. The only other time in Mark where one falls at the feet of Jesus is in reference to Jairus. The stark contrast between a Gentile woman and the president of a synagogue couldn't be much greater. Yet both recognize their great need in front of our great God. It's also a picture that salvation is for the Jew and Gentile alike. The word begged in verse 26 is a verb that indicates repetitive action. To get a better picture of this scene, turn to the Gospel of Matthew 15. and verses 21 through 28, we'll read the parallel story here. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Turos and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Looking at both accounts, it becomes clear that the woman didn't get the answer she was hoping for right away. Remaining some distance away, she cried out for mercy. Apparently, her crying was loud enough that it caused the disciples to whine to Jesus. You might say they would qualify for some sensitivity training today. Although they asked Jesus to send her away, it's important to recognize he did not. You see, Jesus had a plan, not known to any man, that would soon take away her pain and sorrow. His teaching not only worked for her good and for her daughter, but also for his disciples. The story reminds me of Elijah when he asked God to raise the widow's son from the dead in 1 Kings 17. Some things that are interesting about this story is that, one, this is the first person raised from the dead in the Bible, and it's a Gentile. Secondly, it's from the same area where the woman from our story meets Jesus. I think it's fascinating. 
Now back to Mark 7. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's important to notice that Jesus welcomed the woman's persistence, and it helps in understanding his initial response. Jesus loves Gentiles, for they are his creation, and they're made in his image too. If you're like me, the first reading of this verse is a bit shocking, especially if you're like me and you're a Gentile. What we must remember is this was a common word used to describe Gentiles by Jewish people in the day of Jesus. The Greek language has two words for dog. The most common one is that of a street dog or a mongrel. And to be clear, it was not used as a compliment. Jesus used the less common word for dog in this case, and it means puppy or little dog. Regardless, if you're puzzled by Jesus using this word, you're not alone. I know when this happens, when I read something in God's word that puzzles me, I understand I have to go deeper in God's word to understand what's taking place. As we study scripture, Jesus, the Hebrew Messiah, came to the Jews first because they were God's chosen people. They were to be his vehicle to reach the rest of the world. It would be wrong for Jesus to ignore his children, Israel, and give food to the pet Gentiles under the table first. This makes the woman's response even more insightful. She took the Lord's metaphor and reminded him that even the puppies get crumbs from the children. She also noticed that Jesus said, let the children be fed first. She must have noticed that seconds were coming. Her example of faith is beautiful. Her persistence is full of grit and her humility is to be modeled. Here is a mother who fights desperately for her child. Side note, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it's true to life. Here's a picture of a loving mother who would do anything for her child, not unlike many of the mothers that are present here today. If you want to see a picture of strength, look at a mom caring for her child. I have some wonderful memories of how my mother cared for me. I have some wonderful memories of how my wife cared for our children. I pray all moms will be encouraged by this passage today and notice that a woman is being highlighted as the first person who had great faith by Jesus Christ. Nowhere in this story do we see that the mom doubts the goodness of God. She knows he will do what is best for everyone, including her child. Her example of no sense of entitlement is refreshing as well. She appealed to God's mercy, and Jesus showed her his grace. The author of Hebrews reminds us, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Let's finish the rest of our passage. Verse 28. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. What Jesus commends her in Matthew 15, verse 28, by saying, O woman, great is thy faith. The word great is mega in the Greek. In other words, Jesus is saying she has mega faith. How cool is that? In fact, this woman is the only one of two people Jesus referred to as having great faith. The other person was a Roman centurion who came to Jesus to have him heal a sick servant. Of note, both were Gentiles. You see, the woman in our story knows that a crumb from our Lord will be enough. Maybe you're here today or listening online and the thought of being called a dog insults you. It offends your pride 
or perhaps you're on the other side of the spectrum and you think you have too much sin to be forgiven. Do you realize that is a picture of pride too? In your own way, you're telling Jesus that he needs to do more to forgive you of your sins than what he's already done. Both are pictures of pride. D.L. Moody once said, Jesus sent no one away empty except those who were full of themselves. I will tell you, one of the greatest joys I have in ministry, and even while I was active duty and going back to being a teenager, is I consider myself nothing but a beggar who has found the bread, letting other beggars know where the bread is at. The gospel is the good news. Do you realize the Bible makes it clear that you and I were created to be with God? Makes it crystal clear. The Bible also has some sobering news. It also says that every one of us have sinned against a holy God. Now that's pretty easy to kind of own up to, right? The hard part is a lot of us, especially in the Western world, think we can remove our sins by doing good deeds. A lot of us from a very early age were taught if you do this, you get this. It's repeated on and on and on throughout your life. But the Bible makes it crystal clear again that your good deeds cannot remove your sins. But Jesus knew that. That's why he came to earth to live that perfect life, to die in your place, die in mine. And the best news of all is that God did not leave him dead. He raised him from the grave three days later. And everyone, this is my favorite part, everyone who places their faith and trust in what Jesus has done can have eternal life, and it can begin today. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And that's why we have a picture out in the hall of a man with filthy hands holding a piece of bread. Every time you see that picture, remember, if you're a child of God, you are a beggar who's found the bread, and our job is to let the other beggars know where the bread is at. Consider a few principles from our text today as we close. One, we need faith. I was taught as a little boy that faith as acrostic means forsaking all, I trust him. Him being Jesus Christ. Faith is believing God is who he says he is and believing that he will do what he says he will do. It's trusting him with everything. And let's be honest, that's hard, isn't it? But we are to trust him with everything. One of my favorite clips, I've shown it here several years ago, and I show it in my office often with people that struggle with faith and assurance of salvation is from a man named D.A. Carson. I've learned so much from him over the years, and rather than paraphrasing what this man teaches, I would like you to listen to what he has to say now. Picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown, remarkably Jewish names. <laughs> the day before the first Passover, having a little discussion in the land of Goshen. And Smith says to Brown, boy, are you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? And Brown says, well, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the, the lamb and daubed the two doorposts with blood, put blood on the lintel? Haven't you, you done that? You're all ready and packed to go? You're going to eat the, the whole Passover meal with your family? Well, of course I've done that. I'm not stupid. But it's still pretty scary. When you think of all the things that have happened around here recently, you know, flies and river turning to blood, and it's pretty awful. And, and, and now there's a threat of the firstborn being killed, you know? It's all right for you. You got three sons. I've only got one. I, I love my Charlie, and, 
and, and, and, and the angel of death is passing through tonight. You, you, you know, I, I know what, what God says, and I put the blood there, but, but it's pretty scary. I'll be glad when this night is over. And the other one responds, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. That night, the angel of death swept through the land. Which one lost his son? And the answer, of course, is neither. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercised, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That's what silences the accuser. The blood silences the accuser of the brothers as he accuses us before God. He silences our consciences when he accuses us directly. How many times do we writhe in agony asking if God can ever love us enough, if God can ever care for us enough after we've done such stupid, sinful, rebellious things, after being Christians for 40 years? What are you going to say? Well, you know, God, I, I tried hard, you know? I did, I did my best. It was, a, it was a bad moment. No, 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 no. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. There is the ground of all human assurance before God. There is the ground of our faith, not guaranteeing intensity of faith, so fickle are we. It's not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves. They overcome him on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. We need faith, too. We need to be a people who have persistent faith. Do you realize we have the privilege to take everything to the Lord in prayer? Everything. This passage is clear charge for all involved with intercessory prayer, which is the act of praying for others. Do we, do I, do you persistently pray with passion for anything and everything? We must be a people of prayer. Consider the events taking place in Ukraine and Russia. Are we praying? Are we praying so bold as that God would save even the president of Russia? Do we think God could not do it? I believe God can do anything. We need to be a people of prayer. That includes praying for the hard things. Don't give up. If you're not seeing results, don't stop. Instead, Understand God is doing a great work in you as much as you are praying for that other person. Others might be seeking God about matters that trouble your own heart. You too might feel like giving up. Remember, God operates on a different time schedule than you. Maybe you're pleading with God to do a great work in your marriage. Be persistent and plead with God. Your prayers will be heard by him. When I officiate weddings... I remind the couple that their marriage will be a portrait of the gospel. Forgiveness will be needed, and forgiveness will also be needed to be received. It's a softer way of saying, having vows that say, I take these sinner for better or for worse, right? I'm looking at several couples that I've been able to officiate their weddings. 
I'm mindful of parents who are praying for children that have walked away from the Lord. Don't stop praying. Very mindful of what this looks like on God's timetable compared to a mom and dad. My wife and I, her little brother, was uh, the short summary, in case Timothy is watching online, uh, was Henri. And his mother and father prayed for his salvation a lot. Then his daddy passed away. And the mother continued to pray, as well did the rest of us. And then the mother passed away. And only after both parents were gone did Timothy turn his life around and place his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Were their prayers answered? Yes. Was it on their timetable? No, I don't think so. But it was on God's. And the end result is they'll get to spend eternity forever together because God was faithful in those prayers. Three, we need humility. You'll notice the woman from our story showed no entitlement. I'm sure a great deal of her life was one of hardship and being a person who was ignored. Yet she sought mercy from God. Later in Mark 10, the disciples will hear from Jesus some challenging words about humility. Look at verse 43. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When I was 16, this verse changed my life. If Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of everything, chose to be a servant, how could I be anything but a servant if I'm calling myself a follower of Christ? That is why we're called to follow him. And do you realize there's only one place in all the Gospels where Jesus refers to his heart? He lists two attributes. In Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus says, For I am gentle and humble in heart. Imagine if men in the church today were gentle and humble in heart. We need humility. Our story today from God's word not only gives us an example of great faith, but I believe it challenges God's children to not set limits on what God can do. Instead of seeing obstacles when trouble comes our way, we need to train our hearts to see opportunities to glorify God. This is important. Hear it again. Instead of seeing obstacles when trouble comes our way, we need to train our hearts to see opportunities to glorify God. Do you realize today might be the day when God's peace replaces your pain? Bring your needs to him. Bring it with faith that he will hear you. Know that God loves you. I realize some of you might still be thinking, Todd, you have no clue how big my problem is. You're right. I don't. But God does. As we close, consider just a glimpse from God's word of what he can do. I want you to see Moses at the edge of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army closing in, stunned, trapped. And yet, what happens? God makes a way. See little David trust God to take down a giant when everyone else is hiding in fear. See the multitudes that need to be fed with a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and they turn to Jesus, and everyone has enough. See the disciples in the boat with the storm raging all around them. They are scared, and they turn to Jesus, and he calms the sea. See a woman caught in adultery 
she turns to Jesus and she's forgiven. See, Jairus, as he turns to Jesus to save his daughter, and he raises her from the dead. See, Mary and Martha, as they come to Jesus with Lazarus, begging the Lord to save him, and Lazarus lives. Can you see the shame of the leper, an outcast, alone? And he turns to Jesus, and he is healed. Do you see the blind man who meets Jesus? He can see. Do you see the deaf man? He can hear. Do you see the crippled man? He can walk. Our Jesus can do anything. See Jesus on the cross. He dies. He's put in the ground. Three days. Three very lonely days. It's dark. It's hopeless. And then he lives. Our God can deal with big problems. May we be a people that go to him with those big problems and trust him for big results. My friends, if God can do these things, and it's but a small sampling from Scripture, think of what he can do for you with your problems today. Our God answers prayers. He can save anyone, and he can take the broken, and he can make it beautiful. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for your word, for the promises and the principles that are found throughout it. And Father, my heart is heavy for those who have heavy hearts today. Father, I know there are men and women here that are hurting. Too many situations to list. And yet you know them all. May they realize that and may they trust in your goodness. Just like this woman's great example of faith. May they stop relying on themselves and place their faith and trust in you. Father, may you do a great work in shoring up their hearts and let them know how much you love them. And Father, for those hearts that are far away, may you be relentless in pursuing them and bring them back home. And Father, for those who still don't know you, I pray today would be the day of salvation. May they turn their eyes upon Jesus and may this world fall away as they see the beautiful Savior. Oh, Father God, may you be pleased as we worship you now. In Jesus' name, And the church said, amen.